Premier Christian Newscast. recent Asbury revival prompted huge excitement among many British charismatics and Pentecostals. Hundreds jetted over the Atlantic to drink in the round-the-clock worship and be inspired by the passionate faith of the students praying and singing with no agenda but to just be in the presence of God. But if we're honest, it's also prompted some more uncomfortable questions. Mainly, why isn't this happening more over here? When the charismatic renewal movement hit the UK in the 1980s, there was a moment when miraculous healings, demonic deliverance, speaking in tongues, the gifts of the Spirit and signs and wonders seemed to be becoming part of the everyday life of the church. Into the 1990s, entire movements and networks sprung up on the idea that the Holy Spirit was at work afresh and revival was imminent. And yet, as the years have turned into decades, it feels like things have slowly simmered back down. So why haven't we seen more supernatural outpourings, more revivals, more outbreaks of the Spirit? I'm Tim Wyatt, and this is the Premier Christian Newscast. Emma Fowle from Premier Christianity magazine wanted to dig into that exact question recently, and so gathered a small panel of Christian leaders, theologians and prophets to discuss whatever happened to the charismatic renewal and what the church might do if it wanted to usher the Spirit back into the building. When Emma first became a Christian in the early 1990s, it was in a church world full of prophecy, healing, miraculous gifts and power evangelism. When she went to Spring Harvest as a teenager, the entire youth venue stood up to be prayed over to receive the gift of tongues. Aged just 19, she remembers taking her own youth group to the church in Toronto Airport to try and catch the fire of what was then called the Toronto Blessing. So I kind of didn't realise, because I'd never been to any church before that, that that wasn't just how the church was. So it's taken me quite a long time, actually, as an adult Christian to look back and go, oh, that was a period in time, perhaps, and not sort of think, why why is every church that I've ever attended not like that one I grew up in when I was a teenager? And then we've been talking about this sort of periodically at Premier over the last six months, and it's sort of really come into light, you know, recently with Asprey as well. And just, just like, what, where where's that going like has that disappeared are there some parts of the church that are still experiencing it is God doing something fresh where are the people that are hearing from God about what's coming next or what might be holding us back from what's coming next and all of those sort of really big picture questions so I thought it'd be a good idea to get a few people around the table who might have a little bit of thought and insight and interest in those areas and just talk really amongst ourselves about some of those questions so so if you could just uh, introduce yourself say your name what you do where you're from and Mm. and then we'll sort of take it from there really so Pete do you want to go first yeah so my name is Pete I'm married to B. We've got three kids. We live in central London and we, we pastor a church called KXC. And I guess my backstory, particularly as it relates to this conversation, is that my dad was a vicar um, in High Wycombe, then in Birmingham. And the churches that, that he led were hugely impacted by the charismatic renewal movement of the 80s and 90s. So he was quite a key leader in the New Wine movement of churches. So New Wine 89, which was the very beginning of the New Wine story, I would have been there as a 10-year-old. 
Um, and that renewal movement, which included like new wine and many other streams, um, Soul Survivor then came from that, hugely affected by the, the Toronto blessing. That was kind of my teenage years. So in those early years where my faith really came alive, that became a norm for me of seeing people come to faith regularly, seeing people flow in the gifts of the spirit. Um, so the prophetic gifts of healing, miracles, like that became a norm. I remember walking through new wine gatherings where you just see a sea of bodies, people that had been hit by the spirit, some slain in the spirit, some shaking or manifesting in the spirit. And when that becomes a norm for you as a 10, 11, 12 year old, it's hard to shake that. So in latter years for me, I'm now in my mid 40s. I know what a move of the spirit looks like and anything less than that is there's going to be dissatisfaction in my body and in my being. So I've been in this kind of wrestling of Lord. I, I want to be caught up in a fresh move of the spirit where people encounter you in power. So that's some of my backstory and some of my hunger as I come to a moment like this. Great. And Emma, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, certainly. Hi, my name's Emma Stark. This is an Irish accent, although I live and work uh, in Glasgow in Scotland, but you get all the Celtic warrior vibes. I'm married to a Scottish man. I'm fifth generation church leader, so I lead a church and raised by theologians. And I run something called the Global Prophetic Alliance, which is an international network for the raising and training of prophets. And I run the British Isles Council of Prophets as well. So everything to do with the, the, the revealing the voice of God. My background is very conservative and highly traditional, as is my husband's. So we grew up um, between us free Presbyterian brethren and Baptist. And my father is actually an Irish Baptist minister. And so we were very much father, son and holy scriptures. So it wasn't for years I went, wait, there's a spirit who knew, you know, so I would have been at St. Michael the Belfry Church of England um, in the early 90s as a student um, studying at York University and in walks John Wimber and the man is prophesying. It is bodies, like you say, everywhere. And as this conservative, traditional lover of the word of God, lover of church, I'm like, what is this? Is it biblical? Do I like it? You know, and all of those assessments. But I would totally agree with you, uh, Pete. And um, it, it marks you with this ferocious appetite for yeah. more of God to the point where you're like, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, how uncomfortable it is, I will not be satisfied until I see God's glory and his kabod, his heavyweight, rest on us again. But I think here is our challenge. It will not come in the way it did before. And this is what makes it uncomfortable because most of the time we want a facelift uh, a surgical face, a spiritual surgical face on yesterday's blessing because it is familiar and God is not doing it that way and that makes it uncomfortable. One quick final note from me before we launch into the discussion. There were some technical issues with Pete Hughes's audio and connection while recording this. So at times he had to switch to the phone and so it's going to sound a little bit muffled. Sorry about that. Anyway, on with the conversation. 
Okay, so from your point of view, then you two, you would agree with the Premier team's in-office discussions that what we grew up with maybe in the nineties isn't happening in the UK anymore. Is that over? Is the charismatic renewal something that was and is no longer? Well, I'm a prophet. Let me tell it to you straight. I think the Holy Spirit got put on pause, and not necessarily by willful, willful stubbornness or a lack of hunger. I think we got tired. I think we got worn out. I think that to be cutting edge and pioneering takes an awful lot of wildlife decision making and that we didn't necessarily willfully disinvite the Holy Spirit. But I think there was a lot of accidental putting the spirit of God on pause. I also think in that God wanted to send us something so radically different that he simply stopped turning up in the ways that we were used to. I think Pentecostalism and charismaticism are now old wine. I I really do believe that. I think Pentecostalism and charismaticism is not the fresh cutting edge. I think what I would be calling the cutting edge is a church of power, a church of the kingdom, and a church of demonstrations, particularly of deliverance ministry and exorcism in a way we have never seen before. Would you agree with that, Pete? I think my experience is that the charismatic renewal movement shaped the church and and therefore continues to shape the church and i think as i travel around i don't travel loads but the spirit is still moving the the stream that i guess i'm most familiar with hasn't retreated would still be going after the gifts of the spirit hearing the voice of god praying for healing praying for liberation from oppression of all sorts so in one sense i don't think there's been a retreating i probably do agree with there's a dissatisfaction that we long for more and are we seeing the same level of signs and wonders as we did in that move the spirit like not sure we are when you're not seeing lots of the activity of the kingdom it's possible to create a new norm a new norm in which you don't see loads of salvation don't see many healings, don't see many signs of wonders. And then you can actually build a theology that sort of justifies and explains the experience. It's a bit like camping out in the wilderness rather than pressing on to the promised land. Mm. Um, and I think the alternative to that is to allow the dissatisfaction to grow and to knock on the door of heaven and to keep knocking until the doors open and the spring rains start falling. Mm. And I think, I'm, I'm, you know, be far more keen to be in the latter camp than those choosing to settle in the wilderness. Emma, I'm fascinated by your answer in terms of um <laughs> yes. In terms of the Pentecostalism charismaticism that you mentioned. Yeah. Do, do you mean almost those streams of the church in their formulas as opposed to theological convictions? I'm fascinated by what you mean. Both. Both. Um I think there is a real problem with some of the foundation stones of evangelicalism, which those sit on. And as much as it was, it is brilliant. The four tenets of of evangelicalism are phenomenally good. What they don't give us is the full expression of the spirit. When you're looking at the centrality um, of the cross and Christ, Um, and you're looking at salvation by faith 
um, or you're looking at an outworking of your faith in the community, all of those things that actually are vitally important. You know, you, you wouldn't want to knock any of that for a second. Mm. Unfortunately, what it does is it 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 pushes the spirit to a bolt on optional extra and nearly every Pentecostal or charismatic church that I'm in, and I'm in an awful lot of them, mm. spirit is very much bolted on. It he, he has no central operational place. And and would that be again, I so I can see some of that, particularly in a a Western expression of Pentecostalism. But when I think of Pentecostalism in its in its foundations, yes. it is very much like the complete freedom for the spirit to do what the spirit wants to do. In my mind, that's a central part of Pentecostalism. The, the kind of modern, okay. uh, maybe megachurch yeah. expression of it feels yeah. like it's become production over presence, which I think then that, I think do, does quench the spirit. It does. I mean, it absolutely does. And uh, the performance, I don't think anybody ever starts off by saying, oh, let's have a performance. But we do accidentally end up in that. I, I think in terms of my perspective of this, this current moment, I, I think when I look back at the moment when my faith came alive during the charismatic renewal movement, I don't think my theology shifted massively. I think what I was introduced to then, which is essentially inaugurated eschatology, I think that remains my foundation. But one of your questions, Emma, was like, has the season changed? And I think seasons do come and go. And I think probably what we are beginning to see is a season shift right now. And I, I don't think I or we are retreating from what we learned in that season. So in the charismatic renewal movement, I think there were some significant shifts we experienced. And if I was to try and articulate, and I, I, you know, I was 10 or 11. So this is almost as I remember it, the season was about the church rediscovering the power of the spirit. So it was at least the church my mum and dad led and the vineyard movement, the kind of foundations were sort of conservative evangelicalism and then this sense of like, we are discovering the power of the spirit and the life of the spirit being poured out. And with that, a sense of the gifts of the spirit, the ministry of the spirit and, and leaving cessationism behind that the gifts were just for a bygone age and entering into like, no, no, this is all for now. Yeah. Like I still stand on that theological ground, but I do think there's a season shift. And, and if that season was the church rediscovering the power of the spirit, my sense is, and I could be wrong on this, but what I've seen at Asbury and what I see stirring here in the UK, it feels slightly different, that the wine feels slightly different. And I would say this is a moment where the church is rediscovering intimacy with Jesus. So when I was at Asbury and we're seeing some similar stuff, you know, here in London and beyond, it's, it's less signs and wonders and the power of the spirit. There's some of that. But that felt front and center in the Toronto blessing and the early days of new wine. What we're seeing now is like this gentleness of the spirit, uh, a drawing into intimacy with Jesus. And, and connected to that is like waves of repentance, like particularly young people, an incredible hunger for Jesus and a hunger to be right with him. Holiness. And um, and that feels like beautiful. And I think so. It is a new season that the language I've been trying to use, you know, at a local level with our church family is I think we've been in winter. I think we're entering spring and I think that the shift from winter to spring is, is normally marked by spring rains. And what the spring rains do is it softens the dry ground 
and creates fertile soil for seeds to be sown, which then lead to abundance. So I do think we're on the brink of like some really exciting days for the church. Um, I do think there's abundance ahead, but I do think right now what we're experiencing is like gentle spring rains. That was my take of Asbury. There was so much humility to what the Lord was doing there. It wasn't flashy, no production. It wasn't like big hit after big hit in the worship. It wasn't like celebrity preachers coming on stage. It, it was like incredible humility. But the defining feature of that move, the spirit was everyone was talking about the person of Jesus and everyone was encountering his presence. No one mesmerized by production, everyone mesmerized by presence. And that's the thing that feels really beautiful about this moment. So it does feel different to maybe the 80s, the 90s. It feels like there's a new wine being poured out and we'll probably move on to this, but the new wine will need some new wineskins. And that's probably what we're seeking to discern. Yeah. Um, and actually, that that sounds like it ties in very well with, with what Emma was saying in lots of ways, because what you're talking about is a sort of a, a, an almost um, a more everyday supernaturalism where you are walking with Jesus and encountering his presence and taking his presence everywhere you go all of the time, yes. rather than these sort of big hit encounters. Would that Does that sound right? I mean, I, I would just question, like, what I inherited during that renewal movement felt like an everyday spirituality. So I, I think, you know, the teaching of John Wimber and, and others in that season was like, this isn't just for power encounters in the gathered place. John Wimber regularly used to say the meat is on the street. Like he also used to say like the meeting place is the learning place for the marketplace. So what we do in these gatherings is learn how to operate in a naturally supernatural way so that we can practice that in the community, at the school gate, in our workplaces. So I felt like that was actually quite front and center in that move of the spirit. Um, so there's continuation. Um, so I think what's happening now is like the church in the West, the church in the UK has been in massive decline. And maybe where revival might be slightly different to renewal is revival is like when things start dying, they need resurrection life. Mm -hmm. and, and the church in the UK has been dying and in you know significant decline. And my, my sense is perhaps this move of the spirit is about bringing life where there's actually quite a lot of death. It feels slightly different just to renewal. I think what we need right now is, is, is a revival. So that's probably how I'd articulate it, if that makes sense. Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. I now need to briefly explain that the renowned theologian, author and speaker Artie Kendall, who was a key figure in the charismatic renewal movement in Britain when he led Westminster Chapel from 1977 to 2002, was actually supposed to be joining Emma's discussion, but unfortunately he'd missed the first half due to a mix-up over the time difference in America. But by this point he has now managed to join the call, and Emma started by asking him if he had learned anything from the 80s and 90s which he thought could be applied to where the church was at today. Well, first, would any of you be aware of the first Word and Spirit conference that we had in Wembley Conference Center in 1992? I doubt it. And I'm having to probably tell you about something that a lot of people knew about at the time. Uh, but uh, Graham Kendrick wrote a hymn for us. Uh, Lyndon Bowring chaired the meeting. 
Paul Cain, the prophet, was the to represent the Holy Spirit, and I to represent the Word. And the idea was to bring the Word and the Spirit together. Well, at that conference on the final evening, I gave an address that I thought would be very, very well received, but it wasn't. And the bottom line is this, as Abraham sincerely thought that Ishmael was the promised son, but to learn only that Isaac was coming. So I believe that the charismatic movement is Ishmael. People think it's the final work of God before the end. I said, no, Isaac is coming and be a hundred times greater than Ishmael, a hundred times greater than the charismatic movement. And uh, almost nobody liked it. One or two did. The point is, I was not popular. Now, 40 years later, are you ready for this? A leading charismatic publisher in America want me to make that into a book. And many are now saying, RT, we hope you're right. Because if what we have is all there is, we're in bad shape. And it still hasn't happened. It's still future. But uh, uh, the book will be out in August in which I take the view that the best is yet to come and it could come at any moment. And for all I know, uh, sounds like from a little bit I picked up, I'm in agreement with you all. I just think you, what you're saying coheres with what I said 40 years ago. Something big is coming. Huge, yes. huge. And uh, uh, so I like the idea that uh, we're in spring. Uh, so it won't be long, in my opinion. The only difference we may have, and maybe we won't have a difference, you tell me, I take this to be eschatological. In other words, here is my view. Yeah. The next thing to happen on God's calendar is not the second coming. It will be the awakening of the church just before the second coming. Yeah. I mean, I just want to do a happy dance and clap my hands, RT, because I think you're totally echoing what the councils of prophets that I'm a part of um, are saying. And most of our structures we are finding are now obsolete. And we have got to be able to say that God is as much a God of omega as he is alpha that it is in his personality in equal quantities that he begins and he ends and so it we somehow peculiarly think oh if there's an ending it's a bad thing that's just biblical nonsense god begins things and he also ends things and then he begins some things again to host what he wants to do in the earth realm right now and we are far too wedded to structures that cannot hold him. Back to you. <laughs> what do you think, Artie? My DNA, I guess you could use that phrase, is that there's been a silent divorce in the church, speaking generally between the word and the spirit. Uh, now, in a divorce, sometimes the children stay with the mother, sometimes the children stay with the father. Well, in this divorce, there are those on the word side and those on the spirit side. What's the difference? We'll take those on the word side. We need to get back to, to sound doctrine. 
earnestly contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints. Get back to Reformation theology, justification by faith, sovereignty of God. And until we have this, the honor of God's name will not be restored. What's wrong with that emphasis? Nothing. It's exactly right. There are those on the spirit side. We need to get back to the book of Acts. Signs, wonders, miracles, gifts of the spirit in operation. Uh, have a prayer meeting, the place is shaken. Get into Peter's shadow, you're healed. Light of the Holy Spirit struck dead. Until we get back to that kind of power, the honor of God's name will not be restored. What's wrong with that emphasis? Nothing. It's exactly right. But the problem is, in my opinion, that virtually wherever you go in the whole world, and in my old age, I've gone from South Africa to Australia to the Middle East to the Far East. Tomorrow I go to Hong Kong. I've traveled the world. It's one or the other, wherever you go. It's yeah. one or the other. There's word churches, there's spirit churches, and uh, very few will learn from the other. You can't tell spirit people that they need a better theology. And you can't tell word people they don't believe in the Holy Spirit. They say, we certainly do, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I said, no, you believe Father, Son, and Holy Bible. That's where we are. So what, what structures do, need to change? Yeah, and I, I still think I'm trying to discern what those new wineskins are. I think they're probably new ways of operating that allow us to align with what the Spirit's doing. And whilst I'm trying to figure out what they are, I think I have stumbled on a few. So, so one would be, here's a few that come to mind. One would be a greater confidence in calling people towards repentance. Mm -hmm. if, if what we've seen in Asbury is like an outpouring of the presence of God, this is like first and foremost about the presence of Jesus. Then we know in Psalm 24, if you want to ascend the hill of the Lord, we need clean hands and a pure heart. So I think we as preachers, we as leaders in the church need to develop a greater confidence in calling people towards repentance, not just towards encounters, which is beautiful, but actually towards repentance, getting right with God. So I think that's probably a new way of operating for some of us. Secondly, I think we need to rediscover a greater confidence to wait on the spirit. They that wait on the Lord, he'll renew their strength and run and not grow weary, walk and not grow faint. And I've realized in, in many of the ways that we do church, there's so little space of just lingering and waiting. Mm. And again, this is something I saw in Asbury, just a lot of space. And when we relinquish control and invite the spirit to come and actually wait, not like one or two minutes with a quick response song, but lots of waiting, God began to move in those spacious places. And I, I guess I've come back with this desire. I want to create more space for waiting more space to linger and to allow the Spirit to do whatever the Spirit wants to do. Mm. And then the third one would be a greater confidence to release the next generation into ministry. I think I saw there that there is a passion and a purity emerging in the next generation that we need to be very attentive to. So a lot of people have been talking about Asby being a Gen Z move of the Spirit. Now, I believe it's a move of the Spirit that will spread far beyond Gen Z, but it was particularly beginning with that demographic. And again, I, I think I've come back to KXC and realized, gosh, there's something beautiful stirring amongst that generation here too. And I want to be attentive. And there's someone in my mid-40s. I want to get out of the way to create more space mm -hmm. for this next generation to carry leadership and express themselves. We have some very, very good foundation stones in place that have been restored to us. And we've had the res restoration of God is good.
which was not how I grew up. I'm in my late 40s, but that is not how I grew up. But over um, uh, the, the nearly 50 years I've been on the planet, we now understand that God is good. That is majestically brilliant. We understand that we have a spirit of adoption. That is marvelous, you know, and we didn't have that. But we understand that we are now to be default warriors all of the time. We're learning how to do spiritual warfare. So all of that is brilliant. Where's the gap? Where's the gap? Let me tell you two things are missing. We have very few moments of the fear of the Lord. In fact, it's almost non-existent. I agree with that. Uh, that that's good. That's good stuff. And what we are finding is this is not a restoration of intimacy because that's already understood because we know we need to be more intimate. Uh, although we'll see that it is a restoration of fear of the Lord. It is a restoration of seeing him as king. Now, when you understand that God is, yes, your father, yes, he's good. Yes, he's your friend. No, he's not your boyfriend, which leads you to over familiarity. But when you understand that he is the king with a kingdom, that is what is being restored. Now, that changes how you frame everything, because you are then in the place where we are going to see the king. We are going to eat, sleep and breathe messages of the kingdom. We're going to have the revealed mysteries of the kingdom. Yeah. So, so I think my experience of Asbury, I, I went with expectation and hunger. And that, that was the standout sort of observation of what was happening at Asbury. And I think probably that purity of worship was the thing lots of people were talking about. Mm. And maybe one example of it, which I know a number of people have been referencing, is this idea of a consecration room. Mm. So they basically took what probably become standard at lots of festivals, the green room with the kind of snacks for VIPs. And they were like, no, we're done with that. What we're going to do is create a consecration room where people who are about to go and minister, lead worship, pray, preach, are going to spend half an hour in the consecration room getting right with Jesus. So like half an hour of repentance, being prayed for, just being still in the presence of Jesus. And when they came out to lead, they carried this purity, this sense of holiness. They were taking the holiness of God very seriously. And that somehow led the room into taking the presence mm. of God and his holiness very seriously. And therefore, there was a purity about the worship that was absolutely beautiful. It mm. wasn't about production, certainly wasn't about entertainment. This was about the presence of Jesus. And again, that was beautiful. And I think maybe there's a lesson for us in the church. What do you think, RT? Is that is that a difference from what you saw in the 80s and the 90s? I don't know. I, I remember something that Paul Cain would say. Paul Cain said that what is coming, you cannot hasten it and you cannot stop it. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a sovereign move of God. That was his view. Agree or disagree. So there's nothing, according to him, that we can work up. And I would agree that uh, we have lost a vision of the sovereignty of God. I love what you say about the fear of God, but the sovereignty of God, I think, is a missing note. 
and that needs to be restored. And God will step in in such a way that we know we can't uh, manipulate, we can't hasten, we, ha we can't rush it, we can't stop it. It's coming. Well, someone would say, well, nothing to do then, just wait. Uh, in a sense, that's true. But Donald Gray Barnhouse would say, while we wait, we can worship yeah. and uh, do all we can to get closer to God, to know his word, to know what pleases him. And uh, then one of these days, to be honest, if you want to put me under a lie detector, I can tell you, I look for it every day. I look for it every day. So I do have the expectancy, but waiting is not fun. That's my contribution for the moment. Yeah, I do think we're a little bit like John the Baptist at the moment, particularly as, as the prophetic community. There is this kind of wailing voice of God coming from us, because, of course, it's, the, it's not just the, it's not just the voice of one speaking in the wilderness. It's the voice of one crying, the sense of longing and, and, and a cry that comes up that is uh, deep to our core. The Romans 8 sort of uh, concepts of the, the spirit groaning within us. And so I really believe that we are the John the Baptist people right now who are saying, oh look what's coming look what's coming there's a descending throne there's a descending throne now i have to say prophets are continually irritating and i understand that because there's this sense of we're always saying it new it's new it's new it's new it's new and then we're always saying get ready get ready get ready and then um uh, we're always saying things are speeding up you know we have our little uh, catchphrases and so I, I, I get that, you know, sometimes we rightly can have eyes rolled at us. Um, I do really want to say right now, there is a bravery rising in a John the Baptist preparation generation who are being rewilded would be the phrase I would use rewilded. You and I know as church leaders and as church members over many decades together that we we often go into protect and defend mindsets because where we are has blessed us and we celebrate that and we want to protect what we've got and by human instinct and nature we want to say hold on, you did it here before can you just do it here again can you not just come to my movement can you not just come to my traditions can you not just upgrade here and now I don't want to leave where I am because it's really blessed me in the past and we go into this protectionism mindset I would want to speak peace to you this is not a protect and defend time know the times know the seasons this is an advance and change time, not a protect and defend time. Yes, I think I am seeing more signs that are, you know, building faith and hope in me that something that we've seen in Asbury is actually spreading and stirring elsewhere. So in terms of the context of the church I lead, I think a greater sense of hunger for God's presence. So we often like close the service with a blessing and then we invite people to head out. And we've had services where like no one wants to leave. <laughs> we've actually 
created at our final service of the day with this most space afterwards, mm. like an extra hour just to linger. Wow. And a number of the room will leave, but a good chunk will stay, yeah. and they just want to hang out in the presence of God. Yeah. Which, again, is, is something that was present in Asbury, where there's stories of, of students dragging mattresses into the auditorium because they didn't want to go home at night. They just wanted to stay in the presence of God. Mm. And we're not seeing that, but we're seeing something of it, which is like a deep hunger for God's presence. I think we are seeing waves of repentance, certainly in a way that I've not seen before. I mean, the context I find myself in. So this, this desire to be right with God, this desire to be in the presence of Jesus, there's something new stirring. Mm. So I, I, I definitely see some of that. And in terms of like, how do we add our yes and prepare for it? I think there's a few things that come to mind. Like number one is to consecrate ourselves, which I think means to get ready um, spiritually and I think a big part of that is to repent if there's ways of being and doing church that have made much of us and not much of God I, I think we need to get on our knees and, and repent so I think there's a moment of consecration and that verse from Joshua 3 consecrate yourselves today tomorrow and do something amazing amongst you that's been in my mind mm. like, if this is a moment of consecration to ready us for what's to come we need to take that seriously That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget to also subscribe to the podcast on your phone or tablet to ensure that you receive each episode automatically sent to your device week by week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 